life. I remember asking the old rabbi, how can all these faiths in the world exist? I mean, doesn't one have to be right and all the other ones have to be wrong? Faith, I was really having so much trouble and feeling such a lot of pain about losing dad and also about did I do everything I should have and could have for him? That was that kind of torment. Off I went to a spiritual medium. Spirituality. With a painful, cracking voice. He say, I'm scared. And I know you can kill me. But I have to tell you this. Jesus loves you, Nikki. Well, I surrender to <laughs> his love. <laughs> More Than This with Sheridan Boise. Hello and welcome to episode 51 of More Than This. SheridanBoise.com slash 051 is where you can go to leave me a comment or send me a voicemail or click through to a whole bunch of links connected to today's episode. Today we're going to be talking about simplicity. How do you live a simple life? Are you feeling duplicitous? Probably not. But a little while ago I heard somebody say the opposite of simplicity is not complexity as much as it is duplicity. And that means basically being pulled in two different directions at the same time. We're not following one path, but you know two or maybe three. Well, we're going to be talking about how do you live a simple life today? We're going to be giving you 10 ways to do that. Also in today's episode, you're going to get a bonus interview with Rachel Botsma. She is the co-author of a book called What's Mine is Yours. She is an expert on collaborative consumption, and she's going to be sharing with you all sorts of really interesting ways that people share their stuff rather than buy or own. Car sharing, free cycling, couch surfing, Airbnb, all sorts of different ways in which you don't have to buy, own, get into debt, but lend, borrow and share. Some quick announcements before we get into today's uh, podcast episode. Uh, the big news, of course, is it's only two weeks until my new book, Resilient, Your Invitation to a Jesus-Shaped Life, is released worldwide. All systems go here, behind the scenes, getting uh, all things ready for that big release date on uh, Wednesday, October 21. Now, the big news to tell you is that from this Monday... I'm going to be releasing a series of free chapters right around the blogosphere. It's going to start on my blog here, going to give you the introduction to the book so you can read that for free. And I've got a bunch of blogging friends that are then going to be sharing readings from the book uh, for the next seven or eight days. So you can kind of come on a resilient devotional with me and uh, share these stories and these experiences and these insights that I've found from Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and how it ultimately re results in resilience in our lives and bring them into your life for at least a week and I hope then gives you a bit of a taster for the book as well. Make sure you are subscribing to my blog and also following me on social media so that you can keep up with uh, where each day's episode is going to be uh, posted. It's going to be a lot of fun. Okay. 10 ways to simplify your life. Well, you've got to say we are the options generation, don't you think? Most of us can pursue any career we wish. We can live almost any lifestyle. We've got the latest smartphones in our pockets. We've got cheap airfares that allow us to see the world. Our problem isn't of thirst and hunger. Our problem is which brand of bottled water to choose, which fast food restaurant to go to. Previous generations knew nothing, nothing of what we have today. And of course, many in the developing world know nothing of that as well. Now, no one wants to live in poverty, but this increasing affluence that those of us in the Western world have had has led to other problems. 
If you haven't read it yet, I really recommend uh, Oliver James's book, Selfish Capitalism. It shows what happens when we adopt a materialistic lifestyle. We suffer from increased levels of depression and anxiety and aggression and narcissism and substance abuse and relationship breakdown. And over time, when we kind of really pursue money and possessions and personal appearance, when those things become prime, we become less loyal, less forgiving, less helpful and joyful and more cynical, fearful, manipulative and insecure. Now, it's not just his ideas that is borne out by the research. Materialism and consumerism leads to a sickness of the heart of the deepest kind. Now, one of the things that I bring out in Resilient is just how ahead of his time Jesus was in his teaching. You know, resilience psychologists today are coming out with all sorts of uh, kind of points as to what makes a resilient life. I'm going to be talking about that in a future episode of More Than This. Uh, You know, Jesus was there before them. And when it comes to the effects of materialism, Jesus again was there before psychologists like Oliver James brought out their particular points. In Matthew chapter 6, part of the Sermon on the Mount, when Jesus is giving this life-changing, world-changing, history-shaping teaching, he talks about not storing up treasures for ourselves here on earth where moth and rust destroy, where thieves break in and steal, but uh, storing up treasures for ourselves in heaven for where our treasure is, there our heart is. Now, one of the big things for Jesus is the primacy of the heart. And he talks about our calling in life. He doesn't talk about job titles or skills or talents first. He talks about us being salt and light. He talks about our hearts. And when it comes to material possessions, he starts off with the heart. What place do our material possessions, do our money, do our things, our homes and our cars and our clothes have in our heart if they're primary They're going to be doing all sorts of things to us. He talks about the eye is the lamp of the body, and if your eyes are good, your whole body will be full of light. Have you ever wondered what Jesus was talking about there? It's in the context of this. He's saying, if you make money and material possessions the prime thing, you will lose your light. You will have darkness in your life. It will rob you of light and life. He goes on to say, no one can serve two masters. You either hate one and love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. So that's his starting point. When it comes to materialism, consumerism, all the things that kind of pull at us and want us to kind of go here, go there, have a trip over this way, buy some new clothes to make you fit in with that group. He says, none of that can come first. God and his kingdom comes first, and everything flows from that. Remember, Jesus goes on to talk about, you know, why do you worry about your life and about what you'll eat and drink and about your body or what you're going to wear? Uh, Look at the birds of the air. Look at the flowers of the field. If God looks after these, clothes them beautifully, feeds them, how much more is he going to look after you? Instead, seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these things will be given to you as well. Again, he goes back. God comes first. Put that into place. Everything else will follow. So once you do that, once you have that simple beginning that God comes first, material things come second, how then do we live a simple life? The points I'm going to share with you now, I have drawn together from uh, Richard Foster's excellent books, Freedom of Simplicity and Celebration of Discipline. And I've added a few more ideas of my own and I've got an expanded version of this in my free ebook, Five Practices for a Resilient Life. If you haven't got that, that's free to download. Just go to SheridanVoise.com, 
slash five practices. Now, of course, everybody's lives are different. We can't kind of set any rules here. These are simply suggestions. And I'll tell you what, I'm trying to live by some of these. Some of the other ones, uh, I'm not. <laughs> I've still got to grow into them. Uh, so we can all kind of live in grace when it comes to these. But these are some opportunities for us to live a more simple life by uh, not allowing the world and its ways to have prime ownership of us and therefore drag us in all sorts of different directions. Okay, here they are. One to ten. Number one, define life in terms of being rather than having. Start by refusing to measure life by the abundance of your possessions. Enjoy nature and animals as well, not just streaming videos and shopping malls. Cultivate solitude and silence. Develop close relationships. Value music, art, books, crafts. Stress quality of life over quantity. Define life in terms of being rather than having. Number two, buy things for their usefulness rather than their status. This is a huge one because so often we buy a car to make ourselves look good. Um, I mean, I know of sales executives that have been directed by their management that they have to buy either a BMW, a Mercedes or an Audi to fit the role and to look good when it comes to the the company. There might be a place for that. You might have to simply do that to to do your job and to work. But when it comes to our own personal choices, we buy things for their usefulness, not for their status. Discern the difference between a need and a want, because every day we're getting messages bombarding us, basically confusing those two. We can be looking for a home that is livable, not just impressive. We can wear clothes until they wear out instead of being a slave to fashion. Every single season, we've got to keep up, keep up. As uh, Richard Foster says, impress people with your life instead of by what you own and you wear. Number three, join the happy revolt against the modern propaganda machine. I've taken this language directly from Foster himself. I love it. Join the happy revolt against the modern propaganda machine. Identify the marketer's attempts to sell us products that we don't need. Now, it's pretty sophisticated. I'm looking over here at my bookshelf, and I've got a, a book on the on the shelf called uh, Biology by Martin Lindstrom. Martin is uh, one of the bigwigs in the advertising world, and he goes into, I guess, the psychology and the triggers that advertisers use to get us to want the things that we don't need, but that marketers are trying to sell us. It gets tricky. Learn to identify when they're trying to manipulate us. Buy things to last. Avoid upgrading a product just simply because a new model has come out and there's a new feature in it. Most new features are added only to make us dissatisfied with what we have. Learn to make things like clothes and furniture and toys and identify with the poor. One of the best ways to counteract some of these things is by sponsoring a child in poverty or donating regularly, finding out about the needs of people around the world who are really wrestling. Number four, avoid debt. I remember some years ago, I had a, a, a listener to one of my radio shows send me a letter, I think it was, or email me and said, look, I'm going to do this thing for my, my teenage son. He listens to you every day on the radio and his 16th, I think it was his 16th birthday was coming up. And this parent arranged this really, really, really great thing for her teenage son. She uh, went and got a, a number of people that this son admired to write letters of advice 
to the 16-year-old, but he wasn't to open them immediately. He was going to open one letter every year for the next six years or something like that. So I never knew when my letter was going to be opened up and read. But one of the things that I said to him was was this, apart from a spiritual life and everything else, avoid debt. Don't be kind of caught up into this idea that you have to buy something straight away. You've got to buy the latest couch, buy, buy the latest furniture for your house. You've even got to buy a house. You've got to buy the latest car. You've got to keep up with all those kinds of things. Keep away from all those interest-free and buy-now-pay-later schemes that are going to basically give you what you need straight away because somehow you need it. No. Apart from a house, maybe a car. Save up. Buy something when you've got the money for it. That one discipline will help you go very, very far in life. Also, if you can't pay off your credit card every month, the experts talk about uh, cancelling it. If you can't control it, let go of it. Number five, develop a habit of giving things away. Be generous. Deaccumulate. Give away not just money and possessions, but also time and expertise. A friend of mine has progressively, over over the last few years, cut down his working week from five days to four. I think he's now down to three. So he can dedicate one and now two days to his church as a volunteer. He continually leads me by the way that he lives a simple lifestyle oriented around God and God's kingdom and what God is doing in the world. Note also that uh, simplicity doesn't mean that you have to reduce your income. Some people are called to increase their income so that they can give more and more away. You might have a spiritual gift of making money, of being in business, of being entrepreneurial. Maybe that is your calling from God in order that you can shovel much more money into the developing world, into child sponsorship, into your church, into good ventures that are bringing light and life into this world. Point number six. Learn to enjoy things without owning them. We'll talk more about this with Rachel Botsmer in just a second. But you can own the beach without plotting to buy a piece of it. You know? You can enjoy public parks. Libraries are one of the most unutilized facilities that we have in most of our towns and cities. You can borrow a neighbor's lawnmower instead of buying one. You can lend out yours. What about car sharing, carpooling? The belief that we only enjoy things more when we own them is an illusion. We can share more. Point number seven, make recreation healthy, happy, and gadget-free. You know, it's just so simple to enjoy some of these things in life, like riding a bike or going for a walk or taking a swim, going for a jog, hiking, camping, backpacking, and all of the gadgets and apparel that are often touted to us as essential for these activities is normally not necessary, you know. Some of them are okay, but it's normally not necessary, not essential. We can enjoy all sorts of simple, healthy recreational activities that don't require us to buy anything apart from a couple of pieces of clothing, if you know what I mean. Point number eight, eat sensitively and sensibly. This is a big one, and I'm not too sure that I'm completely uh, living by this myself, and I need to be checked in this. But buying locally produced food to reduce our carbon footprint, for instance, or growing our own food or being sensitive to the food chain and eating foods like fruits and grains that don't do violence to the balance. Uh, Grain-fed animals, I remember watching a documentary movie called Food Inc. And it was quite shocking in the way that grain-fed animals are just an unsustainable luxury. The world cannot continue to 
produce beef the way that it's producing it, and it's leading to all sorts of other problems. And so it's, there was a call there to reduce consumption of it. Now, we don't eat a lot of beef or things like that, but I think there's a few things here that I could look at again. Number nine, reject anything that breeds the oppression of others. Here's again an opportunity for us to research the supply chains of regular purchases that we make. Are our clothes made in sweatshops? Is trafficked labour used to bring them to us? Are the supermarket chains that we frequent profiting from deep discounts by paying farmers and other producers less and less and less? Do the companies we support foster racism or sexism or other unjust labour practices? And then number 10, and this is really, really important, and all the rest of the points rest on this, is keep God and his kingdom central. Jesus is basing the whole idea of a simple life on God first, material things second. And a resilient life of this kind of simplicity flows from that, seeking the kingdom of God before all other things, and all these things will be given to you as well. Foster says this, nothing else can be central. The desire to get out of the rat race cannot be central. The redistribution of the world's wealth cannot be central. The concern for ecology cannot be central. It's only by putting God and his kingdom first that we have the inner resources to drive all these outer actions. If we don't put him first, then so much of what we've just been talking about can descend into soul-crushing legalism. Okay, what do you make of those 10 points? What have you grown in? What have you been challenged by? What have you found to be particularly freeing? And what have I missed? SheridanVoise.com slash 051. I'd love to know your lesson on living a simple life. Time now for that bonus interview with Rachel Botsman. I recorded this with Rachel a couple of years ago on the Open House program in Australia. Get a pen and paper, write these things down. There's some good stuff in here. Okay, well, if you have ever baked some bickies and traded them for a dozen eggs laid by your neighbour's chickens, if you've ever carpooled, shared a community lawnmower, or been along to a fashion swap, then congratulations, you've caught the new global economic wave. (laughs) It's called collaborative consumption. And according to social innovator and writer Rachel Botsman, it's a global trend that's changing the way people consume and even the way they think. Rachel is the co-author of What's Mine Is Yours, The Rise of Collaborative Consumption, and she's on the line now. Hello, Rachel. Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. Give us a a definition of this phrase, collaborative consumption. So it's basically um, how technology is enabling the sharing and exchange of all kinds of assets, from cars to bikes to clothes to skills to back gardens, but in ways and on a scale that has never been possible before. Because, I mean, we have had bartering and swapping and sharing for, you know, millennia. So yep. Nothing really new about that. But this is different simply because of the rise of the of the net and other technologies like that? Well, that, that's the interesting thing is that everything from smartphones to GPS to the Internet is actually taking us back to really old market behaviors. Um, mm. so you mentioned bartering and swapping and trading. Um, but what's happening is whereas we used to have to do those things face-to-face and the trades used to happen um, sort of one-on-one, so I had to find someone who had what I needed at the right time. Um, we now live in this global village where we can mimic those exchanges um, on, on a massive scale. You divide collaborative consumption into kind of three different types. I'll give you the type. You can give me some examples. Okay. Product, service, systems. Mm-hmm. 
Um, that's when you pay for the benefit of something or its usage without needing to own it outright. So um, two great examples of that are um, car sharing. So that can be something like GoGet, um, where a company owns cars and you pay to use them. Mm-hmm. Or it can be something like Drive My Car Rentals in Australia, where people are actually renting out their cars to their peers and their neighbors. Um, another great example, I've just been in Europe, and, and uh, bike sharing is, is the fastest growing form of transportation actually now in the world. And those people, they're not on their own bikes, they're, they're on shared bikes that are there when they want them, and then they're gone when they don't. Redistribution markets is the next type. Um, so redistribution markets is basically uh, redistributing stuff from where it's not needed to someone or somewhere where it is. So it's the, the old adage, one man's trash is another man's treasure. Mm-hmm. Um, you've basically got three types. You've got, you know, sort of eBay, which is the godfather where people sell their stuff, or Gumtree or Craigslist. Um, you've got where people are swapping like for like. So um, it's called swap trading. Um, books is a huge category, baby clothes, makeup, toys. And then the last is gifted. Um, so free cycle is a really good example of that, where people say, you know what, I really, I don't want to pay for self-storage. I don't want this clustering up my home. I'm going to give it on to someone that really needs it. Mm-hmm. Okay. The third type is collaborative lifestyles. Yeah, because I think people often think it's just products that can be shared and exchanged and bartered and swapped, but it's actually the fastest growing category is less tangible assets, so non-product assets. So that's everything from back gardens. Um, last week, Landshare launched in Australia. Um, it's a garden dating agency that basically, if you have some spare back garden space, but you don't have the time or skills to garden, it will match you with a wannabe gardener, um, which is pretty cool. Brilliant idea. Yeah, it's, um, you know, there's so many people who want to grow their own food, but they, they don't necessarily have the space, and there's so many people who have the space that don't have yeah. the time to grow their own yeah. food. Yeah, so, um, so hang on, who gets the food at the end of the day? You share it. Uh-huh. 50-50. 50-50. And then, you know, through to things like co-working spaces, um, there's a few of those that have opened in Melbourne. So, um, you know, there's a massive rise in independent and freelance workers where they don't necessarily want to work from home, but they don't want to work in an office, so they share an office space. Mm-hmm. Um, all the way through to examples like peer-to-peer travel, which um, a great example is Airbnb. So you can rent out anything from a house to a spare room. Um, there's Hobbit Hut in New Zealand, there's an island for rent in Fiji, and it's all rented out peer-to-peer. How much is the island in Fiji going for per it's day? $500 a night. 500 a night for a whole island? For you a can, whole island. You can spend that for a, you know, a, a hotel in Melbourne or Sydney or something. Yeah, you know, I actually, I, um, I always try and try all these things to see how they work. And I rented out my house for four nights over the Christmas holidays. Mm-hmm. And I made $1,600, um, which paid for my vacation. <laughs> yeah. So you rented out your house, just short-term rent. So obviously one of these websites that you went to, you threw up your... Because there's a lot of um, house swapping happening these Mm. days too. So something like that. But you rented out your place for a short term. You used that and what, did you actually go and rent the, the island? You tried that? No, I didn't. You haven't um, tried that yet? Well, the interesting thing is it's very different from a house swap because, you know, a house swap, you're in the other person's home, whereas um, on Airbnb, they actually come around, they photograph your house for you so it looks beautiful on the site, and it ended up that the person who came to stay, I knew through um, an old professor at Harvard, which mm-hmm. was crazy. Um, some people choose to do it when they go away. Other people actually enjoy the experience of hosting the guests. 
So um, you find actually a lot of empty nesters. So when their kids leave home, um, they rent out their spare rooms. You know, the per- in New York, the average person is making $1,500 a month just from renting their spare room out on Airbnb. Couch surfing is another kind of one of those, isn't it? Where, you know, the whole idea is you can't afford to you know, pay for a whole unit or something while you're away on holidays, but people will throw up their couches up onto a website and say, well, you can come and bunk in with us for a while. What often happens is these ideas start as a free thing, you know, so people don't charge for uh, sleeping on a couch. And it's actually the interesting thing about couch surfing is it's a very important form of cultural exchange. So you discover that a lot of under 30s go, they, uh, you know, they really get to know locals. They have mm-hmm. a truly uh, cultural experience that you would never get if you stayed in a youth hostel or if you stayed in a cheap motel. Mm. I wonder if that's because of the rise of maybe Lonely Planet guides and even the TV programs that are associated with it. This whole idea, you know, get off the tourist track and actually experience the back alleys, so to speak. <laughs> I think um, I think it, I think it is the the interesting thing I found was that the host gets a tremendous amount out of the experience. So um, I met a host who actually barters with the surfers. So he learnt uh, French. Someone came to stay with him for a month. Mm-hmm. Um, someone came to stay with him and did his whole website. Another person did his taxes. So that's what's interesting is someone combining barter with couch surfing. What's kind of catalyzed this trend right now, do you think, Rachel? Why now? Are we just getting overwhelmed with consumerism? I mean, the fact is that actually these are still consumer processes anyway. But is it why? Why now? It's um, it's actually a perfect storm of four key drivers. So the first is we're actually seeing a resurgence of the belief in community, the importance of community. So that's in the real and the virtual worlds. Um, so, you know, for, on the left hand, you've got farmers markets. On the right hand, you've got Facebook. Um, sort of the age of hyper-individualism and, and not knowing who your neighbours are is, is coming to a close. Mm-hmm. Um, the second is technology. So, um, you know, the smartphones is hugely important. Just we've got the technology now to connect and collaborate in ways that were never possible. And then and the last two are, you know, environmental concerns and an appreciation that a consumer system that's just dependent on selling more stuff is, is not sustainable. Mm. And then the last is, is the economic crisis, which it's not about making people frugal. It's, as you mentioned, all around us, people are really questioning what makes us happy. You know, mm. what do we want? How do we fulfill our needs? Are we better off relying on each other than big institutions? If you found today's episode uh, in some way helpful, I would be very appreciative if you shared this with a friend on social media, Facebook, Twitter, and the like. And if you haven't already, I'd really appreciate a rating on iTunes as well. That helps other people to discover the podcast. Don't forget about the free chapter excerpts that are going to be coming out from Monday. Again, SheridanVoise.com slash resilient is where you can find more out about the book. It's going to be an exciting time of launching the book in just a fortnight's time. Have a great time until then. I'll speak to you in a week. Bye.